And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Seven fifty-five is real with David O'Brien and Eric O'Flaherty is on the air now. Welcome everybody to Seven Fifty-Five is Real Room Edition. I'm in my hotel room in San Francisco. That's not why it's called Room. And I'm with Eric O'Flaherty, former Braves reliever. He's not here. He's in uh, Washington. Uh, <laughs> And, Eric, we're about to start a pretty big road trip. I mean, you know, it's all relative. With you, with the Braves right now, they're in such great position that, you know, you could have a terrible road trip and still be winning the division. But you don't want that right now as you, as this road trip is going to start in late August and end in, you know, a week into September. And this is kind of, I think, when you need to really accept, you know, and they've had that momentum, but you need to make sure you're not going in through a kind of a low, like they had coming out of the All-Star break. And right starting with the last game before the break when they had that 20, 22-game stretch where they kind of played 500 ball and it was just kind of low, kind of blah, you know, that kind of – you don't want to have that again between now and the play, the postseason, I don't think. No, I mean, you, you can only control so much of that, but – Yeah. It's – I mean, you, you see it every year. Whatever team goes into the playoffs the hottest. And it's – I mean, that's the tough thing about it is you invest so much into yeah. the season – and there's times where there's been zero converse, like there's been zero debate about who the best team is in baseball. And you look back up and now the Dodgers have 78 wins and they're creeping up on, yeah. you, you know, for best record. But yeah. even that, even to that extent, it doesn't seem to matter. Like if a team like Philly last year comes in super hot, you got one series to prove who's better. No doubt. Um, I keep, I keep going back to uh, the importance of the home field advantage because, uh, you know, as, 100%. As as AJ mentioned, especially right now with the teams that are involved in this and the immense home field advantage that all of them will have in the postseason, even a team like the Phillies, you know, they've been packing that place this year, and that place is pretty special when they're when it when they pack it because there's some loud, uh, very passionate fans that you know had a long stretch there where their Phillies were disappointing, so they're really jumped on board and and made that a cauldron now, and we've know what the Dodgers are because they've got a bigger place by about 10,000 seats than anybody else. So they're going to get 52, 53,000 people in there. And a team that's the closest thing to as good as the Braves in the majors. Some would say it is as good with their lineup, but I, I think the Braves are a little bit better, but the Dodgers are right there. So you don't want yep. to go on a, you know, you want to, you want, you don't even want to, you obviously want the home field advantage throughout the postseason. You can get it, but that means you're going to have to have it over the Dodgers in the NLCS. Absolutely, and that's Dodgers. Well, you, you know, you you don't want to look too far ahead, but that's the series that if you're the Braves, you know you have to win to. You know you're going to have to beat them. I mean, if if by some crazy occurrence they're not the team you have to face to get to the World Series, it'd be shocking. But I right. think the biggest thing about their field that gives them the home field advantage is the bullpen. You sit yeah. in that bullpen down there in the right field line, and it's like all the sounds carrying out to the field. 
So it doesn't yeah. really hit you. You know, you could tell it's loud, but when you jog through that gate and you get onto the field, everybody yeah. down that right field line and those right field bleacher seats boos you. And it just gets louder and louder as you get to the center of that stadium. Yeah. The way it was built in the fifties and it, you know, the, with a huge upper deck and uh, it's a bowl and the, and the noise just cut rains down on people in there. It's in a natural bowl in Chavez ravine against the hillside. And it's just a, a loud place where the weather's always beautiful. People have been there drinking for hours before the game. And, uh, and they've got a, you know, for LA being people think La La Land and all that and glitz and glamour, but they've got a really blue collar fan base. Unlike Yankee stadium, which priced out a lot of its really working class people that used to go to the games at old Yankee Stadium. They priced them out with the new place. The tickets are so high. The Dodgers didn't do that. I mean, they have those bleachers. They have such a huge sections of bleachers, the upper deck and all that, that working class people can afford to go to a lot of games there. I'm not saying season tickets, but they go to the games. So you get a really mixed, great crowd there of, uh, of common people, you know, mixed with the really rich people. And you see the rich folks sitting behind home plate and you think the whole crowd's like that. It's not at all. It is not. No, I mean, you get all the celebrities and stuff that want to be in the shot, you know, while while the game's going. And that's that's really the only section. Everything in the outfield, those second decks, third decks, people come and they're rowdy and they're, they're, you know, really, really hardcore fans. It's just like Philly. I mean, there's other teams that, I mean, you know, like – you make the playoffs and all of a sudden you get this second wave of people interested. That's not what Philly and, and LA are. You know, those people are there most of the year and the ones that show up, they know when to cheer. They know when to get loud. They know what's happening in the game that, that could possibly swing momentum and they're cheering then. And as a player, you know, it's like you come into a game and throw ball one and the crowd goes crazy and it's loud and it's, you know, like that you rebate home run. Those type yeah. of moments, they build from the first pitch of the oh, at-bat yeah. versus there are certain stadiums where it's, it just seems to be like a bunch of people that heard the team was in the playoffs and bought tickets just to get in on the excitement. And that's not what pretty much anybody you're going to be playing in the playoffs this year, at least in the National League, is going to be. Yeah, and Antwerp Park is a huge advantage, too. I mean, they had the, yes. the Braves and the Dodgers all year have had the best home field advantage, home fields. Record-wise, they, they each win about two out of three games there. The Braves have sold out two-thirds of their home games this year. I mean, that place is loud. It's so different than when they first moved there or late at Turner Field. In the last years at Turner Field when the Braves had some, some middle, middle, mediocre years. Uh, and there were a lot of games where, you know, you had 20,000, 25,000 there in a place that seated, you know, 45. This is totally different at Truist. So, and like A.J. Metro, I was going back to what he was saying. They don't win the, the – uh, he didn't think they win the LCS in 21 against the Dodgers if they didn't have home field advantage. They started at, at uh, Truist Park, and they won both games. So you go out to L.A. knowing you only needed to win one to get it back, you know, to uh, – you were coming back to – well, you were coming back to Atlanta, and, and then you just – and that's what happened. They won one out there. They came back and, and took care of it. So it's just huge to have a home field advantage in, in a, in a seven, best of seven series. Or any series. Yeah, I mean, just being able to take that mindset of we just got to get one out here, and you know, you're not probably losing both at home when you come back. It's then you wind up winning yeah. two, you know, on the road sometimes. But when you when you feel like we have to win now, or we're going back there, and we don't think we can do it there, you know, it's like you're almost be, already beat. 
Uh, the, play, the Braves are playing really good ball right now. They're coming up against the Giants team that when, when San Francisco came to Atlanta last week, the Giants were looking like they really were getting on a roll that might uh, put them in really good position for the wild card. But that was it's been a rough – it was a rough road trip for the Giants. They salvaged uh, one win in each series. They, they won the last game in Philly uh, a couple of days ago and had an off day like the Braves yesterday. But, uh, they you know, they lost two out of three against the Braves but played them well. Uh, but it was a two and what two and five trip, I think, for them. Uh, so they come here, uh, the Braves come here, and really have a chance to further diminish San Francisco's uh, wild card hopes. But uh, but San Francisco's got a lot to play for, and this place, like the other ones we talked about, but for different reasons, is a nice home field advantage for the Giants, and they really get fired up when the Braves come to town. You know, when the top teams come here. Yeah, and I just I've always thought that was a tough place to go play. Whether it's the as a Brave, I thought that you know whether it's the time change or the weather difference, or the energy yeah. in the park, or they just yeah. seem to play well at home. Um, I felt like we always struggled on on. I mean, this this exact trip is the trip I wouldn't draw up. You know, I'd want some kind of break between San Francisco, yeah. Colorado, and LA. Just because. yeah, no off days, man. Because all those places are tough players. Who they're rolling out there? Yeah, yeah. It, it's not the Colorado teams that were around, uh, you know, in their better years. But yeah, it's just always such a tough place to play. And to have that right plopped in the middle of series against the Giants and at Dodger Stadium, it's a tough road trip. But the Braves have played well everywhere they've gone. They've basically played well. They've had a couple of bad series this year. Um, but for the most part, they step up. And and the one thing that they do better than any team in baseball, any team, is avoid long, long losing streaks. They're the they only team the in, in the majors that hasn't had like a five. Yeah, they haven't had a five game losing streak in about four years. Whereas you see, like right now, the Rangers, for instance, with Bruce Bochy at the head, you'd think they'd be kind of immune to these type things too. They've lost seven in a row. I just, I think it's, I mean, it's like, it's so hard to lose that many games in a row with this offense. You know, it's so hard to contain this offense for, for five straight games. It's like, how often do they go four or five games in a row without putting up an eight spot? That's so true, man. I mean, even, even when you have really good pitching, which they do, you can still like the pitchers had, remember the starters had that stretch after the break where they, that I was talking about where they had like seven bad starts in a row. So you can have some stretches, but the offense saved them during that stretch in a couple of games. You know, this team scores six to eight runs more often than not. Yeah, so, I'm looking at that Pirates series. They lost six, seven, one, eight, six, one, six, five. Yeah, lost five, exactly. seven. A lot of times, giving up, you know, six, five or six runs a game. That's going to be a few more than you know two losses if you do that four days in a row. Yeah. Um, Coming out west, I think it was good that the Braves had an off day yesterday and they traveled after. Uh, well, they traveled early yesterday, so they got here. You got a chance to get a little acclimated, get a good meal, get to sleep, and you know, and then you got a night game starting here today. So I think there's plenty of time. Rather than if you don't have that off day, it makes a huge difference, which doesn't happen very often, but it makes a big difference to have that off day and be able to get out of there. You know, get here pretty early, and they and they stayed at home too. They didn't leave yeah, after, well, that normally, game went after the game yeah. uh, Wednesday, flew yesterday morning. Yeah, but that's 
I'd always rather do that. I'd always rather, because it's such a long flight, you know, you wind up going yeah. to bed at maybe midnight or one o'clock on the, or 1am on the West coast, but that's 4am at home. So you get two yeah. good nights of sleep instead of trying to mix it up. And I always think it's easier going West because you have more time versus coming yeah. back home from it. Yeah. It's brutal coming back home, man. Um, somebody asked, I mean, uh, I, Luke, I went to Hawaii do? almost, it was two weeks ago and I'm still kind of jet lagged from the trip. <laughs> oh, that's a whole, another whole dimension, man. That's like going from Atlanta to LA and doing it again. Further going. Yeah. <laughs> it's like uh, six hours time difference, isn't it? To the East coast. Isn't it six? Yeah. You're cutting out a little out. bit, Dave. It's possible. I should be here. Yeah, it, isn't it six hours difference to uh, Hawaii from the East Coast? No, it's three. It's I think it's it's six to the East Coast, but that's what I meant. It's, it's three. So it's like yeah. it's like going from you know the West Coast to the East Coast, yeah. but it just you know it throws off your sleep schedule. You come back and yeah, you're halfway there when you get to LA. You're going from the East Coast. To- Exactly. So, but even that, I mean, it makes sense why teams like I remember saying here in Colorado really struggled because they were always in different time zones. But yeah, just a few hour time difference, and you change your sleep schedule. And normally, when you pick up that extra time, you wind up staying a little, staying up a little bit later. And yeah, it just jacks you up a little bit. Uh, somebody, Jerry Blevins, comments on Azuna. Luke P asked if we saw them. I didn't, man. But. Um... I traveled out here yesterday to San Francisco. I, I, I missed that somehow. What uh, if somebody can share what he said, or you want to Google it real quick, man? I, I didn't. I didn't see it. Azuna. Uh, Jerry Blevins comments on Azuna. Let me see. This is live radio, everybody. Welcome. Um, Takes a shot at Marcelo Zuna. Um, and Jerry says, "What do you mean?" Marcelo Zuna makes a very fun Atlanta Braves team near impossible to root for. I don't know. I mean, he could be going a million different ways with that. He could be talking about shit off the field, or he could talk about. Well, I think we know what he's talking about. But, yeah, what does he say? Do you, do you have it? That's it. I mean, that's all I see. That's all he, he just tweeted that? Yeah. That's the comment? That's all I see. Yeah. Luke, is that I don't know. I mean, every about? team has guys that nobody on the outside <laughs> likes, but. <laughs> yeah. If that's all he said with that, no reason, I mean, I can understand what, what his reasons might be. But if he's just going by on the field, I, I think I would disagree. But uh, I don't think Ozuna does anything on the field that makes it impossible. Not if you're a Brace fan. I mean, some Brace fans don't like him because he wouldn't get off the field. But I don't think you could dislike him about what he does on the field, especially lately. My God. I don't think, I mean, he's had a, he's been a huge con- contributor to this team this year. Especially lately, him and Eddie Rosario have carried him when a couple of other guys have uh, slowed down, slowed down a little bit. That's what yeah, I mean, the depth. You know, I mean, it's <laughs> it's like there's always guys on other teams that drive you crazy, especially when they're kicking the shit out of the team you're rooting for. Right, Chipper um, Jones was like that, especially early yeah. in his career. Other teams hate Bryce Harper's like yeah. that. Everybody loves to root against him. Yeah. But I mean, if he's talking about off the field stuff, I understand. If he's talking about on the field, Marcel's not doing anything, you know, flashy that nobody else in the league is doing. Yeah, not. I mean, come on. Anyway, um, 
Yeah, I agree. Uh, Robert G said, man, Wright was impressive last night. He absolutely was last night for high A Rome. Kyle Wright threw three innings, faced 10 batters, allowed one hit, no walks, four strikeouts. And uh, how many pitches he threw? 26 pitches, three innings, 23 strikes, dude. That is a huge, great sign for the Braves. Yeah. That he's throwing, that his command is there after all this time down. I know it's high mm-hmm. A, but Eric has talked about how that can be tougher sometimes in A ball pitching than in the major leagues going against guys who are hacking. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's harder. It's not necessarily harder to pitch, because, but it's harder to get a read on, you know, what you're doing. Every right, time right. I pitched an A ball, it was like, it got to a point where it was like pitching against children because if you knew what to throw and what counts, you know, if you threw a, a yeah. slider and a fastball count and you had a good major league breaking ball that they hadn't really seen a lot of, it was hard to tell, like, you know, am I sharp or am I just facing A ball guys that, you know, and they also, they see the big league pants and they see the umpire changing out the balls and they know it's a big leaguer and they want to go up there and make an impression. So they get even more aggressive. Nobody makes you work. Um, but I'll say this, when you're getting torched down there, <laughs> you know, you got some work to do. So it's never a bad sign to do well. And I think the, the most important thing about it might have been that it was his first start. I mean, it's his first appearance since, what, uh, May 3rd. Yeah. So you're talking going almost four months, three three months and three weeks since he last I mean, that's a full off season. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. like first game of spring training at this point. Exactly. And he goes down and throws 23 strikes and 26 pitches. He got eight swing and strikes, uh, three ground balls, three fly balls, only one line drive. So that couldn't have possibly gone better for him in the Braves as far as the chance that he'll be back in September. I mean, even if they can just get him to the point where he's, where they're confident they can get five out of them. Yeah. You know, or, or if they can get him up to 80 pitches, it could be a weapon in the playoffs. Yeah, that's 26 pitches, three ups. I'm sure he only came out because they probably had a limit on the ups. They didn't want him because they, you know, he would have gone probably 45 pitches if, he'd, if it had taken 45 to get through three, but it only took 26. So they're not going to have him go four ups on his first time out. So I would think the next time out is probably 50 pitches, four ups. Um, I mean, you could be looking at making three or four starts and then being here if the, if the Braves feel like, you know, they need him for one thing and that they that they that he'd be better off getting those last you know building from from uh from there in the majors. So, it's going to be interesting, but that's a huge first first step for the Braves and for him. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it and say maybe take get him four three or four more appearances to build him up and get him back early to mid September and you get two or three yeah. starts out of that to just to yeah. get a look at him, you know. Then, yeah. you get, then you can make a decision, but I mean, it, it's just, it's like Max, it's like Soroka, it's like these guys, as soon as you're hurt and you're off the grid, it's yeah. so easy to forget how good somebody is. And he was just, incredible last year. Just think how, how much bigger it would be if you have, because we've, we've talked about you only need three or four starters, you need the fourth a couple of times in a, in a postseason, but you really only need three really going strong for you. Yeah. Which the Braves didn't have in 21 when they won the World Series. They had guys hurt. They had guys struggling. But think about if they go into the postseason and they have to choose from, you know, I mean, you obviously got 
a couple of locks with Freed and, and Strider. Yeah. But then if you're if you're then choosing two from Charlie, who's he's going to be in for? I mean, with his pedigree, if he's pitching, I mean, the way he's pitching now, of course, he's going to be in. But Charlie Elder and Kyle Wright, one of those guys is not going to be in the rotation. Yeah, that's crazy to think of. But and you can also you can match up better, uh, not match up, yeah. but you can you can pick and place guys. You know, if this if you got a game, it's game four or something like that, and this team really struggles against breaking balls, or this team destroys the fastball, or that team, you know. They they're slow. Whatever it is, you can pick which guy you want instead of having to be like, "This is the only guy we got for this day." So it gives you more options. Yeah, you could and you could use one of those guys in the pen for one series, and then switch the roles for the next series depending on which team you're facing. You know, lefty righties, all that. Yep. So yeah, it's a great, that's a great problem to have right there. Um, yeah. It's I'm mean, just when you think about where the, where they were, how people were talking when they were going through that little brief period I was talking about where they weren't getting any good starts. It's just night and day, the change. In just a couple of weeks, they've reminded everyone of how much good talent there is on this team. And a lot of that is is uh, the turnaround that Charlie Morton has had. He's been phenomenal lately, man. Yeah. I mean, he goes through his spells, but I haven't lost confidence in him. You know, I mean, just just because the stuff's still there. And I think it's it's got to yeah. be hard for him. Yeah, you know, I think it gets hard the older you get and the more seasons you go through. I think it gets hard to mentally bring it, you know, for 162 and or however many, 20, 30 starts. Uh-huh. But I feel like when the playoffs come, that's when those those salty vets are able to lock in and step it up a gear. And he's done this. You know, he had a couple starts on that homestand. The weather was really hot, too. Um, yeah. He, uh, he had that stretch. From July 19th to August 6th, four starts where he gave up. He went five and two-thirds, gave up four, earned. Three and two-thirds, gave up four, earned. Went six innings, gave up three. So that was the good start in the in the middle of that. But in that one, he gave up three home runs. That was against the Angels. And then the Cubs, four and a third, gave up five earned, walked four. The walk totals in that two were three, five, three, and four. So he had as many walks as strikeouts yeah. uh, just about in that last start he did, four and four. So then he's gone from that. Then he had the start against the Mets where he walked seven, but he only gave up three hits and no runs in five innings. So he kept yeah. hitting out. And you thought, you know, well, the Mets suck. Okay, so he made some big pitches, but the Mets suck. So, okay. <laughs> then the next two against the Yankees and then again against the Mets. So he's got had a which he's given up no runs and he's gone five then six then seven innings. In that stretch, Charlie is three and zero, no runs allowed, earned or otherwise. Nine walks, seven of which came in one game. Twenty five strikeouts. The last in uh, eighteen innings. The last two starts, he's given up six hits, two walks. 21 strikeouts in 13 innings against the Yankees and the Mets. Yeah, that's why I don't worry about him because it's not a stuff thing. Yeah, I, you want to think that when a guy's getting old, but it's yeah, it's not a stuff thing. I mean, it's every year he comes out and you're like, all right, he's got to be 93, 94 this year. His curveball is going to lose a little spin. And you watch him and he's still throwing 96 with one of the best curveballs in the game. And he knows what he's doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, the, the stuff is, is still there. I mean, he could still throw 96, top out at 97 if he needs to. And and nasty spin rate is as high as all but about one or two pitchers in baseball. 
Yeah. So, so that's why you, you know, I don't worry about. You, I mean, you obviously you can't be walking guys like that, but I feel like he can write the ship, you know, yeah, as good yeah. as anybody. But and the adjustment he's made tough. the last two to only have two walks in, in thirteen innings and and two hit batters. Yeah, so, I mean, so if he if he carries this into the playoffs, well, I mean, tough carried all the way through September, but still he's showing right now. I mean, and if you watch those games too, there was nothing fluky about it. It was sheer dominance. The curveball, yeah. was. Uh, it's just it's unhittable. He made he made Aaron Judge look foolish. Yep. And Alonzo, I mean, he he threw some nasty breaking balls that are unhittable. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, some of the swings Judge took on his breaking ball should yeah. be all you need to see to know that he still got it. Doing nothing but curveballs too. Yep. Uh, Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Yeah, so in that three-star stretch, his opponent's batting average is 148. Opponent's OPS is 458. They're slugging 180 against them in his last three games. Those are pitcher hitting numbers. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And then you look at uh, Bryce Elder, another who he had his stretch, and people were really quick to jump off his bandwagon. And I got to admit, I started feeling that way too, going, okay, it's kind of catching up. Teams are making an adjustment. I shouldn't have because he'd had 25 starts to that point and, and put up a great body of work. But it's always going to be that out, way when you're a low 90s guy, though. Yep. As it turns out, it's the kind of blip I think that most pitchers have. I mean, it was it was more than a blip, but it was back-to-back starts in July, coming out of the break, uh, before the break and coming out of the break against Tampa Bay and Arizona. That were bad when he gave up seven and five earned runs, and three and a third and two and two-thirds. He's like the worst two starts of his life back-to-back. And then, uh, and then he had two really good ones, uh, both against the Brewers. Then he has two bad ones again, one at Chicago where he gave up seven earned and four and a third and one at Pittsburgh where he gave up five earned. So you're thinking, okay, that's four bad starts out of six. All right, but look what he's done in the last two. He's gotten back to doing just what he was doing in the first three months of the season. He's got, he went seven against the Yankees, gave up one hit, three walks, no runs. And then he went five and a third against the Mets who he's faced quite a bit and only gave up, you know, and the whole Pete Alonso throw it again thing. I mean, he's had some moments against the Mets. They know him really well. They got two hits against him this time, three walks, one run and five and a third. So that's his last two starts. So you got to feel good about how he's, how he's kind of turned it back around too. And he, he's got a 3.39 ERA at this point of the season. He's 10 and four. Which is all you can ask for from a starter. You know, you mix in those bad starts and that just shows you how good he's been. 
Yeah, and then Charlie's got like the seventh or eighth best ERA in the in the National League after all the people were just, you know, saying that was a mistake to pick up the 20, to re-sign him for $20 million and all that. At this point, I look like, to me, the $20 million option, if he wants to come back, that might be your best bet because the free agent market, you ain't getting a pitcher as good as Charlie Morton for, for anywhere close to $20 million. And especially not on a one-year deal. Exactly. It's going to have to be an aging guy you hope still has it in him. And we see yeah. how the, that worked out for the Mets. You know, when they, they didn't sign those guys to one-year deals either. No. Yeah, I mean, it's – I think Charlie's got the he's getting old thing, and then Bryce has the he doesn't strike out a ton, and he's throwing low 90s, where there's always going to kind of be that – there's people waiting for him to fail or expecting it or not wanting to be confident in it because it's not the, the normal way you see guys dominant. But, I mean, it's – like for Elder, if he's a little off, if he's not quite right, then that's the chance for a blow up. But right, he's exactly. a smart guy, you know. He's a he's he's a crafty guy. He knows what he's doing. He's in tune with everything. Like if if you had talked to him and he was just dumb as rocks, <laughs> I would be more worried about him than when he knows what he's doing. Because there's some guys that are putting up those numbers in the low 90s and they're just chucking the ball. Yeah, but he's a smart yeah. pitcher and he's going to make his adjustments. He's going to be able to analyze it. And he's going to remain calm and not let all that outside noise get to him. And you make a great point too. It's, it's his margin for error is so much less than guys with that tremendous stuff. I mean, he can't. Yeah. He can't leave balls that, can't, that get a lot of the plate with his stuff. But the, the, up, can't the, the flip side about that, the flip side that's positive about that is he wouldn't be here in the first place if he right. already wasn't the kind of guy that can pitch with that stuff, yeah. you know, those guys get beat up in double A AA and triple A and they go, they go get regular yeah. jobs. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Some of those guys, they come up here and they end up being as good or better in the majors than they were in the minors in the high minors. I mean, <laughs> exactly. They know how to pitch and, and major league hitters don't face many guys like that anymore. Most of the guys they face though, 95 or, or higher. Yep. They're not mixing four-pitch repertoires, five-pitch repertoires, hitting both corners and, and throwing so many pitches to lefties and righties, you know. it's uh, There's not many like him in the game anymore, and I think that's a big advantage for a guy like who does pitch like that rather than, as opposed to how it would have been for that guy 10 years ago or 15 years ago. Yeah, but, I mean, that's what they used to call him was white-handers, you know, uh, white guy <laughs> throwing 88 with movement. <laughs> it's like I remember – <laughs> I remember Jeff, uh, I remember Frank Core and BMAC bitching one day, just saying, like, where did all the white handers go? You know, like, now you're facing nothing but 96, 97. And you used to get these guys, you know, the, the four and five starters. You know, you go face the Nationals and have a four and five starters would be white handers throwing 88, mixing it up. But it's like your eyes almost got to rest for a day and your reflexes got to rest because you could actually just read the ball and hit it. And now there's none of those left. <laughs> you like so, that? That's the greatest term. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. You know, it's like, well, they said it too, because like if you had a Latin dude throwing 88 or 8 or 9, he was doing it with some, you know, with some body language on it. And his, he was throwing limbs everywhere. But these guys right, were just right. like iron miking it to the corners at yeah. 88. <laughs> and guys love that. And they don't get it anymore. <laughs> How important is the Dodgers series in setting the tone for these two teams in a postseason? Um, 
you think on the surface it's real important because if one team dominates the series, maybe you get in the other heads. But these teams are both so loaded with veterans that they keep it all in perspective. So you're not going to crush their spirits either way. And I don't think either team's going to dominate the series. Now, I think if, if like, the Braves went into Dodger Stadium and swept the series, I think, yeah, they'd tell the Dodgers, uh, we're for real dudes, especially if they do it with their strength, which is score, you know, eight, ten runs a game. Yeah, I mean, you're getting a look at them. It's almost – I personally right. wouldn't even want to play them this close or, or – I mean, yeah, you think about not That's showing them elder. You think about not showing them certain guys because – that it helps their game plan. You know, it's fresh in their mind. They can all talk about it and look at it, but at the same time, you're getting to look at their guys and you're getting to look at what they're bringing. So I don't think, yeah, it doesn't swing any confidence either way, but definitely a sweep or just kicking the shit out of them, you know, making it look like you got their number can send a message. Yeah, especially for e- if either team were to say sweep, the Dodgers yeah. would tell them, this is what happens if we catch you, we get home field advantage. If the Braves sweep them, they go – you ain't getting home field advantage now. And even if you do, we just swept three from you here. So we don't even care, you know, that kind of thing. But yeah, like I said, I don't and that see that in your happening. head of like, they're not afraid to play at our place type of thing. But I mean, there's so much baseball left. It's like it, baseball players are really, really good at uh, staying in the moment and, yeah. and being wherever they are currently, you know, it's onto the next trip. But I mean, I, I definitely thought it, you know, over the years when we play Philly and we go in there and get our asses kicked and we were chasing them down, then you knew that they had this edge over you and you could definitely send that message. But I think with these two teams, there's so many veterans and they've played so many big games. I don't, I don't know if it'll have much carryover. Yeah. Um, and, and the teams are a little different than when they faced last, they played last time, but like the Braves, for instance, a couple of their added relievers are guys the Dodgers are going to be even more familiar with because they were with the Rockies, you know, yep. earlier in the year. Um, Pierce Johnson, by the way, that guy's got some great stuff. Yeah, I mean, his his breaking ball. that You see guys sit on it and still swing and miss it by six to ten inches. Yeah, I mean, that's he has a case study in how really good pitchers can struggle pitching at Coors Field. <laughs> uh, and the guy that's going to struggle the most – is a heavy off-speed guy. And I'm not talking change-up. I'm talking breaking right. ball, like slider, curveball. Right. Because you go on the road and it breaks, you come back to Colorado and it does nothing. So you're always trying to find that thing. And as soon as you find out how to throw it in Colorado, guess what? It's time for a road trip. And then you go into Cincinnati yeah. and you're bouncing it in the dirt in that heavy air. So it, yeah, I think that the, he's, he's a great yeah. study for that. That's what Brad Hand told me, too, about the breaking ball. Of course, feel the difference and how he, he didn't understand it until he pitched for the Rockies for a while. How difficult it was making that adjustment, going home and road. Yeah. I mean, I would get more of my swing and misses in Colorado would be under my breaking ball because it didn't do shit yeah. than the good one that they swing over. But, I mean, that's it's so different when you're just – when you do it as a road player, you come in and you just fight for your life and get the hell out of there. To have to go yeah. back there every seven days, yeah, it's it's a tough setup. So those are two guys that both, I mean, they're known for their breaking ball, so it makes sense why they struggled. Um, there's more clarification here regarding Jerry Blevins. Apparently that was a vid from a video that he posted. Uh, you know, he's got that podcast and he posts videos or whatever, and maybe it was from podcast or maybe just posted a video. I'm not sure, but there's a link here. I don't have time to look at it right now while we're on the air, but uh, – 
uh, and it was about the uh, domestic violence and DUI is why he said it. All right. You know. Whatever. I don't – like, who gives it? a shit? <laughs> I don't give a shit with somebody I mean, on another team that's not in it saying. Right. And how long are you going to say it about a guy on another team? I mean, it's been over a year now. What? Two years since the one infraction uh, – not infraction, the one – and I'm not trying I, – I, at the risk of – because I don't want any any – Anybody out there saying that I'm downplaying anything. I ain't downplaying anything. And I'll raise my hand and say I thought the Braves should and would have released him, you know, after the domestic violence thing. They didn't. Me too. Okay. And then then he had the DUI. I thought, okay, now they're going to have to because there's going to be people, their whole family-friendly product, if they don't release them. They didn't. All right. He has not done anything since then. I will give him all the credit in the world. And and the other part is even at, at its peak, it was not a distraction for the team as far as their play on the field or in the clubhouse. There was never guys rolling their eyes about how why is he still here. They love him. All right. So you got I'm not I'm not downplaying it. I'm just separating going, okay, I don't condone what he did or allegedly did, but he's never been done anything that I've seen that is detrimental to the team. And if you were going to do that, release him, you did it at the time. He didn't do it. So it's no t- sense harping on the stuff two years later. I mean, it was done. If he does something yeah. again, guarantee he'll be gone. I mean, <laughs> I think I can honestly say that. If he does You also just else, don't give a shit who's rooting for your team other than your own fans. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the Braves made a business decision when they did it because they owed him so much money. And you know what? It paid off. Because he's helped him win, and he hasn't done anything more. And I'm sure they told him, look, dude, I don't care how much we owe you. Do anything else, you're gone, and nobody else is going to want to have you either with three strikes. So you've, we've talked to several players I've quoted. I've told you about what other guys have said. He's been instrumental in helping a couple of guys turn their seasons around with the tips he's given them. Yeah. I mean, he's been a really good teammate and, and even a leader in that clubhouse. So I don't think the Braves give a shit what Jerry Blevins thinks. Honestly, no, I mean, the only way that comment would have any meaning to me is if somebody like Chipper said it or somebody that's part of the the Braves fan base connected to the team, you know, a legend for the team. Somebody like that speaking up and saying it has a lot of weight, but you're not supposed to really give a shit who's rooting for you outside of your own fan base. It's like somebody that came back for alumni weekend last weekend had said something. Yes. But then you think, okay, it's bothering some of the alums of this team. Some of the great former players are embarrassed or disgraced by it. No, you haven't heard anything like that. That's the people you care about. You know? It'd be like if, you know, I mean, he's Jerry's a relief pitcher. I'm a relief pitcher. We're talking online. Like if I said it, Pete Alonso's tough to root for, who gives a shit? Yeah, exactly. And Pete Alonso is tough to root for. I mean, who cares? So what, the Mets, the Mets, he's not yeah. enough for the Mets fans to root for, and that's who pays their bills. So, anyway. Uh, right. What do we got? Uh, that's all that matters. Okay. Uh, Eddie Rosario and Ozuna, two guys that have helped this offense stay the best offense in baseball by far. Because you've had a couple of guys, not slumping, but not doing, not on fire like they were. Eddie Rosario and Ozuna have picked up that slack. I mean, Ozuna has barely slowed down at all since this bad April. I mean, he's been on fire pretty much. But he had a he had a blip there too, where he's where he was uh not producing. But lately, and Eddie Rosario especially, because there were a lot of people that wanted Eddie it's them to replace to get a left fielder and run Eddie out of town at the uh, at the uh, trade deadline. Remember that? That was not long ago. Yep. 
Look, Eddie in his last 13 games has hit 422 with a 1,236 OPS. He's got four doubles, four homers, 15 RBIs in that span. Uh, and the Braves are 11-2 and two in that period. That's 12 starts, 13 games for Eddie Rosario. He's been a huge part of that. They went through that lull. He's been a huge part of getting them out of that lull because that was the one that lull went through uh, 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 the Cub series where they lost two out of three. Then they lost the first game in Pittsburgh. So that had left them with like that 500 record over 20-some game span. Not coincidence, Eddie Rosario started his current streak the next game in Pittsburgh where they won that, the last two games there and then swept at uh, or won the first three out of four at New York. So, I mean, he's uh, he's been a huge part of it. And his defense is not hurting you at all in left field. He's made a couple of nice catches, actually. Yeah, and I'd, I'd honestly rather have a guy like him that's kind of streaky. When you look at his numbers, they're they're good at the end of the year. But got a guy that can, especially when you go into the postseason, a guy that can just get so freaking hot he can carry a team. To have that yeah. at the bottom of your lineup versus a consistent guy that hits you know two seventy five with ten homers yeah. and spreads it out evenly through the whole year, the team doesn't need that. They're they're going to put up their numbers. But a guy that can carry you like he has and come up with those big knocks. I love having a guy like that lurking, you know, for any series. He might this might be the series he gets hot and carries the team. And if he's on a really bad stretch or against a certain pitcher, you can put Pilar out there and you know Pilar's gonna yep. play great defense, bust his ass, and probably get you a big hit or two, which he did. And sometimes he's replaced a couple of times when he's replaced uh, Rosario lately. Uh Rosario was the NL player of the week last week, by the way. It's like the Braves have had like six Different guys went NL Player of the Week this year. Five or six. Like tied a One more, they'll have a record for that. For Players of the Week in a single season. Just another record that, it's just, that they're about to set if they do it. Uh, his last seven games, though, Rosario, he's been ridiculous, man. Seven games, he is 13 for 24 with two doubles, four homers, 12 RBIs, seven games. He slugged 11-25 and OPS 17-18. Those are like video games. When he took that submariner deep to dead center, yeah, I was like, all right, he's hot. <laughs> I mean, he's, <laughs> this is as hot as you can get. It's hitting a guy like that that you haven't even seen and probably one of the farthest homers he hit all year. And Ozuna, Ozuna talked about how hot he's been. He had, he had the stretch where he was getting, even during the hitting streak, he was getting one hit a game. Um, but he had a long stretch where he didn't get, he didn't get a multi-hit game from July 30th to August 12th, the first game of the doubleheader at, at uh, New York. And since the second game of that doubleheader, August 12th at New York, his last 11 games, Ozuna is 20 for 38. He's at 526 in that stretch with seven doubles, five homers, 15 RBIs, six walks to four strikeouts, which is really big. He slugged 11.05 and OPS 16.96 in that 11-game stretch. And that's simultaneously with Rosario, what he's doing. So you see how the, these are guys that hit in the bottom half of the Braves' order. You don't get that very much. <laughs> no. No, you don't get that from some teams in their three and four hitters. Four like, hole, yeah. <laughs> at, any point, at any point during the season. I've been seeing some um, stuff lately that Mookie might be creeping into that MVP conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a, 
I thought it was I thought it was uh, Acuna's. I thought if he just stayed healthy around the, just before the All Star break, I really thought he had it locked up, kind of like Shohei has it locked up. If he yeah. just stayed healthy, I thought. But these guys have really come on, and it's nothing Acuna hasn't done. I mean, he's he's not been on absolutely on fire like he was early, but it's not like he's slumped or anything. But uh, Betts and Freddie have just kept going, and Matt Olson obviously with the home run. So. It's a four-way race, probably a three-way race between Acuna, Betts. I don't know. Freddie and Olsen have got to be in there, too, though, with their numbers when you look at it. When you look at OPS in the majors, you still got Shohei up there. We can talk about Shohei in a minute. That's really bad uh, if he has to have the second time a job, which he's going to have to. Um, but if he keeps hitting this year, if he continues to DH, which they have not decided on, I don't think entirely. But if he does, he's going to still put up – the incredible numbers probably. If he doesn't, he won't qualify. If he stopped hitting right now, I, at the end of the year, he wouldn't have enough ABs to qualify. Played him there. Right now, he certainly he does. He's got to miss anybody. Right now, he's still leading the majors in OPS at 1,069. But the next four guys, Betts, 1,010, Freddie Freeman, 988, Ronald Acuna, 987, and Matt Olson, 971. I talked about Freddie and Acuna. I tweeted their stats. It's a crazy how they mirror each other. And the only place they're really significantly different is Acuna with a stolen bases, 58. Freddie's got 17 and 18 tries, by the way. But Acuna, <laughs> Acuna dwarfs everybody else. But it's crazy that Freddie, at, at his age, at six foot five, with his lack of speed, has stolen 17 bases in 18 attempts. And the rules. But yeah, and he's just – you forget about him, and he's smart over there. If you're not paying yeah, attention to him, he'll go. But their numbers otherwise, though, I mean, home runs, RBIs, and then you get into average and OBP and slugging. They're, they're like – they just mirror each other. Freddie's in 336, Acuna's 335. Acuna 419 OPS – or OBP to Freddie's 412. And Acuna 568 slugging, Freddie 576. I mean, it's almost identical. Freddie's got 17 more doubles. Acuna's got three times as many stolen bases. So if it just came down to the two of them, you'd go, well, Acuna's playing outfield. That might be more valuable than first base, but Freddie's sick at first base. I mean, we've talked about how much value he adds being able to pick everything. Yeah, I was surprised. Uh, I saw the F4. I think I think Freddie might, might be higher right now, which I it tells you how much it's changed at first base because they didn't get credit for a long time, first baseman, with their defense. Maybe we talked Simon into that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he told us that they were changing that. They were having like people observing and all that. But that was just a, it was such a glaring omission for a long time, where they didn't, where they acted like anybody at first base is worth the same amount of war. Yeah. Or, you know, value all you got to do is catch the ball. Well, what about when it's a short hop on myth. a double play? Yeah, it's that old myth that you could just put anybody at uh, at first base, which is crazy. Now I'm looking at F war. Man, it's crazy. F-War, they are exactly the same. Acuna and Freddie are both tied for third in the majors at 6.2. Mookie Betts leads in, in uh, position player, F-War, 7.0. Shohei's second at 6.3. Then Shohei obviously has a pitching war, too. So, but yeah, Freddie and uh, Acuna are tied right now. And they're way ahead of the next on the list. It's, it's such a, a – and, and that's in the majors. Those are the top four in the majors. At 
And the next on the list way back is Francisco Lindor having a great year, but he's at 5.3. That's almost a full uh, war, which is a lot, you know, full uh, win. So, yeah. Anyway, uh, man, the Shohei Atani news, I don't care what you think about him, who you think should be MVP, but it's just bad for baseball. It really sucks. We, we've talked about so many times how we're surprised he's been able to pull this off and do this again. But you, you know what, man? There's a, reason why, there's a reason why nobody's been able to do it, why nobody's even tried. Because he's not getting the arm care that regular pitchers get between starts. You know? He's only getting a fraction of that. Well, I, that's what, I mean, I was talking to some buddies about this the other day, and I was like, it's so exciting to watch, but there's a reason why every single player, when you talk to him, is like, I don't know how long he can do this. Yeah. I mean, and they, they've done some crazy shit with him, like had him pitch and then play the second game of a doubleheader. Yeah. And it's like that, even though he's yeah. a beast physically, all that uh, just uh, impact on your body and, and energy you're putting out and the, the recovery is just so hard to come by especially when you're playing the next day and beating your body up some more, you know, even if it's just hitting and running to first, I mean, he's fast. It's not like he does anything low impact. Everything he's doing is max power. So, I mean, almost every guy I've talked about is like, this is the most insane thing I've ever seen. It's why players blow it up even more than fans. I think like when you talk to players about it, they're like, they're more excited than the fans, which rarely happens, but they're just like, this is the most insane thing I've ever seen. I don't know how he's doing it. And that's what every player says. I don't know how he can possibly do this. And it's because there's just so much wear and tear on your body. If you're a position player or a DH or whatever you are throughout the season, then you add in trying to throw 150, 200 innings. I mean, the body can only take so much. I mean, Eric, you see it. And, and, and I see it to a certain degree. I know, you know, the pitchers are – the starters are back there. They're in the room doing this. They're in the training room doing this. But you know exactly what a starter goes through. People think starting pitchers have the easiest job in the world. And it, compared to position players and relief pitchers who never know them when they're going in, in that respect, it is easier because you're only in one game every five or six days. But tell them what a starting pitcher goes through to prepare for that – the grueling part that is a major league start. Well, most of them, the day after they pitch, they're in shower shoes the whole day just getting rubbed on Yeah, because they're just trying to recover from the day before. And you watch them throw the next day. It's at like 60 feet at 60% effort, really light, and then back inside. And he's hitting the next day. Not to mention or, or the next he, game, they're up well header. <laughs> yeah. And so, they, yeah, yeah, the next game, the, four hours that. later, he might be in the lineup. Um, he did that the other day, go double and, header. They usually have a light throw day, and then they throw their pen, which is still pretty easy, you know, low impact. But for me, it's just that they get four days of low effort to let their their nervous system recover, let their body kind of recover. And the the only thing I think that saved him as long as he's gone is that he hits lefty and throws righty, so he's rotating a different direction. Uh -huh. His right hand or his right uh, elbow is not getting that flexion in it yeah. you know it's not getting rotated back when he swings and it's it's his front arm and i think that's better for your body to rotate both directions as far as like low back injuries and just your lower half in general functioning properly but uh, yeah i mean you watch starting pitchers the day after they pitch throwing 100 pitches they're on the couch and, yeah. and they need to be on the couch it's not they're on the couch because they're lazy and they know they got four days to chill it's because that's what 100 pitches does to your body 
So it's not necessarily easier on your body. It's just happening all at once versus position players. Um, you know, it's, it's a, it's lower stress, I guess, even though they're running the bases in the outfield. Uh, but a hundred pitches is a lot of stress on your body. And then you've, then you have them hitting. I mean, the second game of double. Next yeah, day, he's in the lineup it. every day. Um, I just, that's just why so many players are like just blown away and saying he's the greatest player ever saying crazy shit about him because I mean, even you look at Babe Ruth, he only overlapped for like a season or two. So he's been doing and this never like his this. whole career. No. And he was never where he was productive on both at all. Like the season, the past two seasons that Soroka's had, Babe Ruth never had anything even remotely close to that kind of success doing both. Nope. Yeah. So I, and, it's, it's sad, but, at the same time, they let I mean, him do what he wanted to do. They should have called the shots on that. Like the, I thought it's insanity having him hit in the second game of a doubleheader. The other day when he threw that great, uh, the, it pitched great in the first game. I mean, he was dominant. He hit a home run in the second game. I think it was not even a traditional. It was a uh, it was a traditional doubleheader, not a split. I think I'm not sure on that. But regardless. That's when other pitchers are sitting there getting iced, man, and and and, and starting the, the recovery. Yeah, I, I I remember texting some buddies after that and just being like, "This is this is insane. This is extreme. <laughs> like he he needs to be off this game." And then I think he had something happen, you know, late in that game. It looked like he hit a home run, but then he was running around the bases like his back was tied or something like that. But right, you just right. think about it. You're like, this guy spent like seven hours on his feet doing powerful shit today. Yeah, and he came out of the game, I think, at that point. Um, yeah, so, I mean, regardless, we're going to look at this, this this couple seasons he's had, and uh, it's never going to be repeated. I, cannot, I, I can say that with confidence because nobody yeah. – Try pretty much, it's especially he's gonna. He's gonna. I hope he doesn't become a cautionary tale for nobody to even try. But I don't think anybody's got that kind of talent that can do both. I mean, you know, we we knew some pitchers like Mike Hampton, John Smoltz, that were really good hitters. Or not Smoltz went like Hampton, but good hitters, but not good enough to be in the four hole or three hole. Right, exactly. Hampton probably could have been a great hitter if he had just hit, but yeah, he couldn't do both, and he couldn't stay healthy just pitching. You know. It's yeah. hard, man. Especially in this day and age, the recovery period has to be. That's why teams like the Braves are giving guys day, an extra day of rest or two days in, down the stretch. Your guys are getting a whole six days instead of four, so they're pitching like on a Saturday and not again until Saturday. I think it's a great idea because the way they're trained now to go 100 pitches, not 125, and also the max effort that so many guys pitch with today, not necessarily Braves guys, although Strider pretty much does, it seems like. Or he's close to it, but there's some max effort guys out there that, uh, uh, and you know, and, and that's the thing about Otani. He's not a guy that throws 93 with a great changeup, right. breaking. He throws hard. No, he's not sitting 88 throwing that Bartolo front door <laughs> sinker at 80 percent effort. Like he's throwing 99. Yeah, I mean, even if you found out Strider could hit, Strider takes live BP in spring training next year and hits seven homers off of. Soroka and Charlie it's like I would I wouldn't want him to you couldn't talk me into having him do more than he's already doing because you can just see that you know it's like I think of it as like you say max effort a lot guys guys get described that to throw 100 and even though you know Strider's pretty smooth he's still max capacity 
you know, he's, he's still operating, even if he's not, you know, that hundred percent effort, his 95% effort, just because it's smooth, he's still getting the maximum out of his body every throw. Yeah. That it's, it's high stress. No matter how much yeah. yoga or stretching or how good your workout program is, there's nothing you can do to prepare your body for that. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Reddick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash. Or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant. Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, somebody asked, what's the timeline on uh, right? We just discussed that. There is no timeline. I mean, when he's ready, they don't have to rush him. So, But they want to get him up here in time to make a few starts, if, if possible. That's the only rush in that we're so late here, almost in September, that you can't take the kind of time it took like free because, I mean, Max started his – he ended up having four or five rehab starts. You can't really go five rehab starts with Wright and have him ready for the postseason unless you want to make one start and then go to postseason. I think you'd rather have him make a couple of those re- – what would amount to rehab starts, making them in the majors to see if he's ready for to be a postseason option, which I – that was a huge first step in getting there. So, um yeah. Well, absolutely. I mean, you give him, even if you just give him four or five innings or a pitch limit and you know you have a good yeah. open behind him, I mean, this is the yeah. luxury they have of not having to win those games and throw their absolute best out there. They can have some games where they take a look at right and figure out the next four innings. And, and how about, how about two? We talked about how they're going to have like five guys to choose from. And that's not even counting uh, Soroka if he, you know, were to come up. How about having, uh, Got piggyback. You could plan to have a piggyback yep. type arrangement in a fourth start, which would be really good because it gives that bullpen the day off pretty much, except maybe your closer if you want to. But you could have a couple of these guys go four each, you know, in a, in a, in a piggyback type start. And get with, important uh, looks at it. Right. With Kyle Wright, yeah. So that's a nice yeah, option. Right and Soroka could do that, and you get a look at both of them for the playoffs. Yeah. And then, and even in the postseason, if you if you didn't think Wright was too stretched out, was stretched out enough to go, but you really like where uh, he that's is, a good point. You know, and like the Dodgers, pretty much kind of did that uh, a couple of years ago. Seemed like in a postseason. Um, so you, it, it, when you're moving a starter to the pen, especially one that's capable of giving you three or four, you could end up using two of those guys in one game and not having to go heavy on your bullpen. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it worked in the past having a bullpen game anyway. <laughs> Without yeah. those two guys. 
Great pup to have, whatever it whatever amounts to. Ozzy Albies, haven't heard anything yet today. Uh, I asked yesterday, and they're still going day-to-day with him as far as whether he would need a rehab assignment. I tend to think he won't. Um, I don't know if he came on the trip yet, but if he's on this trip here, that means to me that they're not going to have him do a rehab assignment because they're going to have to fly him back to the East Coast if he does a rehab assignment. So if he's on this trip, I think he's going to be activated, whether it's here in uh, San Francisco or in Colorado. I'm not going to be at all surprised if he's activated during this weekend series at, at, against the Giants. He's been doing all this stuff, working out, sprinting, doing all that, hitting hitting against uh, 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 live, live BP type situations. Uh, so he, it's not like he's been out three weeks. You know, He's the type of guy that could step back in there in a game after missing just 10 days. Such a luxury to have that. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, this is another reason why it's such a luxury to have a big lead is because this could be something that if you needed to win, maybe you try to yeah. keep him active and get him back sooner. But you can just slow play it and make sure he's 100% and ready to go for the playoffs. Especially with the way Grissom had the big hit last night and then uh, or two nights ago. And the way that uh, Lopez, what Nicky Lopez gives you defensively especially, that guy's, oh, my God. They need to – he needs to be here he's next player. year. Oh, Yeah. I don't, I don't know what his salary is going to look like in arbitration, but, man, that would be a really nice guy to have as a utility guy, especially if you uh, if you end up trading, say, Grissom or Shoemaker. Uh, Lopez is your perfect utility guy, man, because the Braves, especially on, a team, especially on a team that plays all its infielders every day, then you just have him in case a guy like Ozzy goes on the 10-day IL or, or a guy needs to come out for a day with a hamstring or whatever. You can plug Lopez in there, not miss a beat defensively, and he showed you, you know, when he first in his first few games that he can still hit. Yeah, so yeah, I think he's just he's one of those players you you want to keep if you can. Yeah, it's just nice to have an experienced guy that, like that as your utility guy rather than a young guy. It really is. Yep. But until Absolutely. they get too pricey, until they get too pricey, but on a you know a team with with a reasonable payroll with a good payroll like the Braves, you can do that. The Royals can't do that, obviously. No. All right, I think we covered it. Oh, uh, just going to ask one other thing about Strasburg. We've talked about another one, unfortunate. You never wish this kind of shit on anybody. Um, uh, Strasburg, I mean, the contract, you couldn't blame the Nats because they had to kind of decide. And the better thing would have been to, to sign neither <laughs> of their free agents coming off that World Series. But you couldn't really sell that to your fans. after That's a tough the sell. World Series. Yeah. So they signed a guy that had that carried him in the postseason and gave him some tremendous moments. And, and I mean, talk about a guy that had a great season at the right time and especially a great postseason because he turned that into a huge contract and it's been a total disaster for the Nats. I think he's made like eight starts since then. They couldn't insure it because of all his injury history. So they're on the hook. He's retiring now in case you guys missed it. He's going to retire. And because he's, Forced to retire because of health reasons, he still gets paid. It's not like he's just opting to retire, you know. Yeah, and it's not like he's just saying my shoulder. I mean, he had a bunch of surgeries and he's been rehabbing for years and trying. Right. So it's, I mean, it's a convincing so case. They to fight it, which they want to fight it because they've seen him. They've seen him up close and personal and looked at all his MRIs and everything. But it, a team, the team owes the guy if he has to retire because of health reasons. And then it's you know most teams insure these long term contracts. But some of them in the last decade or so have not been insured because guys have this injury history and teams still sign them. But if you have all these yeah. pre-existing conditions, it's really hard for an insurance company 
to insure these immense contracts. They're not like they used to be. So, <laughs> these are huge contracts. And insurance companies aren't going to be on the hook for them in some cases. Well, and I remember it happened with Prince Fielder and his neck. Yeah. And they did have it insured, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Teams used but, to be able to do it for those contracts. You know, they were a, a huge contract was a $10 million salary, you know? Yeah. But now yeah. you're talking about $25, 35000000 million. I mean, and there's so, no good way out of this thing. I mean, as a player, if they're saying, well, you got to keep rehabbing or we're not paying you, then it's just like you're just putting in this guy in purgatory where he's just right. going to have to keep showing up and rehabbing. But I think the writing was on the wall that this thing's a wash. And, I mean, he had the thoracic outlet, which some guys just do not ever feel the same after. Um, yeah, so it's that's like, a bad one. I'm sure yeah, they had a lot a of talks and it was just, look, I want to stop. But I don't think, I mean, I'm sure if, however many hundred million or whatever's on the line that he'll keep showing up and doing the rehab. But I think they got to a point where it's like, let's just end this thing. And that's just and a brutal, paying, brutal deal for him. And they're also spending a lot of money rehabbing him. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of manpower personnel. Yeah. Yeah. That's not cheap rehabbing these guys, as you know. No, you just, I mean, you're definitely taking up space and, you know, yeah. <laughs> you want to pay for more surgeries yeah. Um, and he's not God, he was he, he was not, so good in 2019 it was like that was no, the, that was what you were everybody was waiting for his whole career yep and he had the right agent to get the contract too he did it at the you perfect know, time perfect time and you know he's got this mixed legacy as Britt Giroli wrote um, with the Nats on the one hand remember the year they shut him down when I think Boris wanted him to, you know, the team shut him agreed to shut him down for the postseason and people told him, yeah. you don't know when you're going to get this to be there again. And it, that backfired. So then for him to produce in the postseason when they won it all, I mean, he was terrific that postseason. He was what we always thought he could be when he was the 1-1 coming out of college, out of San Diego State. But um, that was it. That was a shining moment. I mean, and he had a couple other great games here and there. But that, that season, he parlayed into that huge contract. And, uh, you know, I was going to say, he's not the type of guy that either that uh, there are certain pitchers like Jesse Chavez has been during this time on the IL who are always around and they are huge pluses for your team, even if they're not pitching. And yeah. that just wasn't Strasburg's personality. And I don't think you want a guy, I don't want to say he was miserable, but he had a right to be if he was because of all the health things he's going to, but he was never that type of outgoing leader type guy anyway. And I don't think you want that around as a reminder all the time. This guy, oh, yeah, he's been rehabbing for three years. See, this could be awaiting you. <laughs> but, yeah. You know, it's just not the type of guy you'd want to keep having around uh, and paying during this rehab process. You could tell him, you know, we're going to keep paying. You think you could hang out here and serve as a, as a, as a uh, you know, unpaid, unpaid uh, uh, advisor. Advisor. That kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, he's not that type of guy. I don't think. At least it never struck me as that type at all. But uh, anyway, they're going to – he'll continue to be paid $35 million annually through 2026 with about 11.4 deferred each year. Then he'll get $26.6 million in 2027, 2028, and 2029 in deferred payments. I mean, that's, that's the classic, and that's the epitome of these long-term pitching contracts that do, do not work out, and most of them have not. The huge contracts have not worked out. So we, we got asked a lot, you know, 
what do you think the Braves' chances of signing Otani are? <laughs> and I'd be like, uh, none. <laughs> that's not well, they're a lot happen. better now. <laughs> and, and that was before that, though, because that's the Braves have right. never believed in signing guys at the top of the free agent chain anyway, because they don't think you're paying for what they've done more for what than what they're going to do in the future. You're paying for what they've done. Some teams are willing to do that, and uh, it, but it usually doesn't work out, especially with pitchers, man. I mean, just really, I mean, any 10-year deal in general that you're seeing, you know, you're getting, it's almost just like how yeah. many dead years are going to be at the end of this contract, not if they're going to yeah, be there. Yeah, exactly. How many are you willing to pay for at the end, you know? Yeah. Like Freddie, like, uh, you know, you could argue, and I could see both sides of it, that they should have given him that last guaranteed year that he wanted, Freddie Freeman. Because I think if anybody can keep hitting until they're 40, it's, it's Freddie. Freddie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but Dansby, I totally understood not wanting to go that long with him or that high with him. The shortstop market just exploded last year, and people got way overpaid. Um, yeah. But, yeah, at, there are certain GMs that are not going to go further than they're comfortable with these guys, and they and they add those options at the end. So, um, And they're usually club options in the Braves case. But, his, yeah, Strasburg's deal was seven years, $245 million. At the time, I mean, that'd be like $400 million now. The way yeah, the contract I mean, didn't get out now, not not inflation. I'm, I'm not talking about. I'm just talking top of the, uh, the market. Uh, the, yeah, yeah, the structure, pay structure. So yeah, that was not good. Not good. I feel for him, man. No, but that's going to hamper him for a bit. Yeah, at least he's getting paid though. <laughs> he's getting paid. Uh, most home runs by our most runs by leadoff hitter. I saw this today. Ronald Acuna is on pace for 145. That would tie Ricky Henderson and Craig Biggio for the most in a season by a leadoff hitter. 145 runs. God damn, that's a lot of runs. Yeah. Uh, that's it. Last thing, I, I just, I, we're out of time here, but I thought uh, today in the windup and also, uh, which is our free thing, our free thing that goes out to people that kind of tease some stories. We've got some really good stories for the day. Um, they teased a story that, that Jason Stark wrote about robo umps. Some people need to read that, and even if you just read the free part, the wind up about robo umps. Everybody that thinks they're going to be the the uh, panacea, you know, they're going to change the game and bring everything all right. When you see these bad calls that some umps make, they're getting some results in the minor leagues that I don't think any of us want. Some hitters are saying that if they do that in the major leagues without tweaking this thing or working on it, because it, it, it's really tight strike zone. And they said there's going to be so many guys walking like Soto. Soto's going to have 200 walks, they say, because the strike zone is so tight and it's making games longer. And I don't think anybody wants that. No, I mean, you've taken all this effort to make it shorter. I was really surprised to hear because I thought whenever I heard robo-umps, I always thought, well, those low breaking balls, I thought there'd be a year of it. The robo-ump will be calling all these low breaking balls that clip the bottom of the zone on their way into the dirt. And they just, you know, cancel the whole thing because they didn't want that kind of game plan. But I was really surprised to hear that it's actually hitter friendly. They probably had to do some tweaks to make it that way. And they'll have to tweak it back in the other direction. Yeah. And if you think about it, too, a lot of times, especially back in the day when Maddox and Glavin were so smart and were working up and show the ump, I can hit that spot. And they keep, um, okay, you can hit that spot. You've shown it. So when a guy sets up an inch off the plate, if you hit his glove, you're you're getting a call. Um. I think while that might not happen today, umps make calls. Pitch framing catchers are drummed out of the business now. And if you can pitch frame, 
yep. it can really, really change a game. If you look at some of these calls, these pitch frame strikes that were balls, you're not going to get those with robots. So you really tighten no. in the strike zone, man. And hitters know, hitters don't have to worry about it. like a great pitch framing catcher making that pitch two inches off the plate look like a strike. If you've got a great eye as a hitter, if you're Chipper Jones, that kind of eye, you know. You're going to know this is going to be a ball. Think about that. I mean, you don't have to worry about an ump calling that two-strike pitch two inches off the plate or an inch off the plate. If you're a great eye, you know exactly where that's going a lot of times. Well, and you see it so many times through at-bats where a pitch gets called earlier and the ump yeah. misses it, but he tells the guy that was a strike, that's the top of the zone. And then you see guys expand and do certain things to protect against that pitch that's a strike now. That'll yeah. never happen either. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, I, 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 I'm not for robots at all. I, I just think Me neither. That, that the human element is so part of the game. Ump's ringing up guys is part of the game. We already drummed out so much of the human element with uh, arguments. You know, I, I just love the arguments. We drummed out a lot with the fights. I mean, that's part of the story of the game. I mean, as, it, as the game yes. unfolds. Yes, I love the, the fight that we had a couple of weeks ago. I don't know anybody in baseball that didn't smile when we asked about it, that wasn't watching it on his phone. The fans, most of the fans. Now, you might be, oh, what's, there's nothing good about hitting somebody. Or, but those nah. are exciting, man. They add an element, just like in hockey. Take out the yep. fights. Nobody wants to see the fights out. I'm not saying baseball should have fights like that. I'm just saying. I <laughs> <laughs> there used to be a lot more of them because there used to be a lot more human element and arguments about calls and all that thing. And guys didn't used to get ejected of the warning given and all that. So it's just, you see, you've drummed out so much of the element is my long story short. Don't drum out more of it with balls and strikes being automatic as well. I mean, you're going to get to the point where it's just generic, man. That's my main feeling about it. You know, I mean, it. you don't have managers sprinting down the first baseline to argue anymore because they just put the headset on and we get it right. Yeah, yeah, it's like, I, yeah, I don't like that at all. But, okay, that's it. Um, Otani contract, it, it, yeah, somebody, Robert G pointed out, it's going to be really, really, this, this throws the whole Otani contract thing upside down. Because you go from he was probably going to be six hundred million, maybe pushing seven hundred million first contract to even get close to that, to nobody. I don't think is going to pay close to that. And I mean, could he still get five hundred million as a just as a hitter? I think he could get that, you know, and the chance that he comes back as a pitcher. But that's not going to be what we thought it was going to be. But the other thing is, I think this gives the Angels a lot better chance of keeping the guy. You know. Yeah, I mean, especially dependent until he makes his decision about whether he's going to have Tommy John, because if he's going to have Tommy John, a lot of people are telling him, experts are telling the doctors are saying he'd be better off sitting out next year rather than trying to come back and hit next year after a second Tommy John. So no team's going to give him that huge contract to have him sit next year. And the Angels know better than anybody what he's capable of, what his health records are, and they might be able to re-sign him. Who knows? The only thing I could see him doing is being a reliever. You know, I mean, w without the surgery, but uh, I don't think uh, we, do it, we've talked about it so much. I, it's just how much longer can this go on? And I don't think anybody in baseball making decisions isn't thinking that already. So, yeah, yeah. It definitely kills his market. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, that's it. We got to go, man. I've already kept Eric on here longer than we're paying him to be on here.
And uh, we appreciate Hey, thanks for all the comments, everybody. It was really good. You jumped on there at the last minute. I realized we didn't even tweet out a link to it until until uh, late. But uh, thanks, for everybody, for jumping on. And we appreciate it. And we'll do a regular podcast early next week after this giant series. And that's it. 755 is real. Thanks. We'll see you. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.